0: We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done.
1: If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889.
0: In today's episode, listener feedback. We haven't had anybody call in on the voicemail line lately. I'm just wondering if it still works. <laughs> we should probably <laughs> check that out. <laughs> Hey, Bill. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Larry?
0: All right. We've got lots and lots and lots of email today, so why don't we get right to it?
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Well, our first email is from Cliff and he writes, Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. I have been a listener for about two months now. Love the show, especially your comparison of various desktop environments. I've gotten lots of good information and I am looking forward to hearing y'all's review Ubuntu 16.04. I have been playing with Linux for about a year and a half. I Still run OS 10 on my MacBook Pro, which is my primary machine with Homebrew, but have a VM running Ubuntu Mate, which I use frequently. I also run Ubuntu on my Intel Compute Stick that I tinker with, and I am working on a Linux server cluster using a gigabyte bricks with a four terabyte hard drive. I became interested in Linux when I realized I could store and boot an OS from a thumb drive. I booted an Ubuntu 14.04 USB, and have been fascinated from that point forward. I am looking to take a class and acquiring basic-level Linux certification. My goal is to increase my knowledge and proficiency with Linux and to have a creation that shows my competence with computers. My question is... Which certification do you recommend? Which ones are known and respected in the Linux community? And which ones are recognized and legitimate? I have tried to do some research, and there are a lot of different ones out there. They all claim they are the one I need. (laughs) Of course they do. (laughs) Thanks for your help, and keep up the good work, Cliff. Well, that's a nice email, Cliff. What do you think, Bill? Do you have any recommendations on certs?
1: I have two, Red Hat and Open... Uh, Red Hat and suse
0: Ah, Red Hat and suse Yes, they're both good. Uh, the other one I would recommend would be LSI. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know a lot about the suse certification, but the Red Hat one, that one is particularly popular if you are... Looking for a job as a certified Linux administrator. Yes, yes, exactly. Systems engineer or somebody who's going to administer a a Linux server. Typically, servers in the business environment uh, are Red Hat or CentOS, which is uh, an unbranded version of Red Hat, to put it probably inaccurately but but um the uh, the red hat certification is specific to red hat though and doesn't give you as much of a broad-based general applies to any linux distribution um, set of knowledge as the lsi certification does Tell us a little bit about the SUSE certification, if you know much about that, Bill.
1: From what I read, it's just uh, about the same thing as the Red Hat. It's just a uh, train you to use SUSE and Enterprise.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, and SUSE is another distribution that has a server version that is very specifically designed for business. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for a job, I would imagine that... Uh, Administer SUSE uh, uh, servers, then that's the certification to get.
1: Yeah, I would say Red Hat or LSI would probably be your two best bets.
0: Yeah, uh, I would think so as well. And LSI is the one to choose if you're just trying to get certifications that show that you are Linux uh, competent uh, and you want to show that you have a broad-based education in Linux, not just specifically one distribution or another.
1: Yeah. Our next email comes from Martin. He writes, hi, Larry and Bill. I've just finished listening to your podcast, as always useful and entertaining. The discussion on backup towards the end of the program prompted a thought. Is there a way to back up the software configuration and customization that you may have added since the f- last full install? This is where my problems are rooted. I, ha- I have to try and remember what I have done to modify my system, and my memory is not too good for this. Any hints would be welcome. Thanks for a great podcast. Keep the good work, Martin. With Sinclair.
0: Well, most distributions come with some sort of backup software already installed, and that's the first place I would look is what's included in my Linux distribution, and most of them give you the ability to back up all of the data by way of copy or rsync to a file or a folder you may have on an internal or external hard drive. Some of them let you back up to an external location, perhaps on a network, so a a folder share or something like that. And the other option, of course, is some sort of cloud-based backup that you could use to store it off-site, and those would be my recommendations, is take a look at the software that's included, uh, some sort of cloud-based storage like Dropbox or some of the other ones that we've talked about on the show. And uh, yeah, pretty much that. Uh, Failing that, if you don't already have software installed, then I'd look at Bacula or um, Simple Backup or some of the other ones. Uh, And I think we may have... A fairly old article, maybe one that needs to be updated on backup tools and backup strategies uh, on our website you might want to take a look at.
1: Yeah, I think that would be the easiest for him to use the backup software.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, One of the things you, you need to be cautious of is that some of them are very good at providing full backups as well as incremental backups. Some of them are not. Some of them just do full backups. Some will compress them. Some won't compress them. So those are things to look at. So yeah. if your particular backup uh, software doesn't give you the features you're looking for, take a look in the repositories. All the backup software that's available for Linux is available in most uh, distributions repositories. So lots to choose from there. Take a look at the features of each and find one that works the best for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good good
0: advice. Our next email is from Frank, who has a software pick. Hi, Larry. Hi, Bill. I also have a good software pick. First, I was looking for a mouse with 12 keys because I <laughs> like to manage actions like closing windows, copy, paste, delete with a simple mouse click. Then I discovered Stroke, a great software tool with which you can program any mouse gesture to commands key combinations and more i know there is also a similar option on kde systems but these never worked out properly for me while setting up the mouse gestures in easy stroke the program sometimes gets stuck just be patient after setting things up the software is great and he provides a youtube video link for us and we'll share that in our show notes of course.
1: Cool. I'd yeah. look into that.
0: Yeah, it's better than a mouse with twelve keys. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I have trouble with three. Yeah. Okay, our next email comes from Scott and Scott says he can't send a fax. Hello Larry, hope you are doing well. I bought an HP Office Jet forty six thirty printer copier fax and scanner. I am using Linux Mint 17.3 on an HP 8460p laptop. The printer and the scanner both work using HPLIP. Can't get the fax to work on Linux using HPLIP uh, fax utility. When I try to send a fax it says sending for a long time. Don't hear any sound coming out of the fax machine. When I pick up the phone all I hear is the dial tone. When I use Windows 7 on the same computer using the HP software, then I hear sounds coming from the fax machine, and the fax goes through. Don't want to have to use Windows to send a fax. Thank you, Scott.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, my first thought is, is this one of the rare versions of HP printer copier faxes that's not all that compatible With Linux, so let's go to uh, the printers section on our resources page. So let's go to openprinting.org, printer list. We'll look for HP in their drop-down. HP, there we go. And what was the model he said, Bill?
1: It was 4630.
0: Okay, so we don't have a 4630, but we do have a 4650, which may be the problem.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, So let's see. OfficeJet 4650. Copy printer. This is a paperweight. (laughs) So, yeah, that indicates, as you can tell from the snarky remark, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, this one's not compatible with Linux. Um, So... Short of getting a different printer, copy, or fax machine, um, I think that you're probably going to have to, Scott, use it from Windows or just use it manually, uh, depending on where it's located. Uh, you can walk over to the fax machine while you're putting the paper in dial from the keys are the or the touchpad on the front of the machine <laughs> and send the fax that way. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, if you have an electronic copy of something you're trying to fax. Yeah, you probably have to print it out first. And I guess that's <laughs> <laughs> as long as the printing part is working, that's okay. Yeah. So you got to walk over to the machine anyway. Use the f- the front panel, I guess, if you don't want to use Windows. Yeah.
1: So, there's a solution.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry, we couldn't have been uh, more helpful or provided a Linux-based solution. Anyway, our next email is from Gus, who has some suggestions. Larry and Bill, I have found a solution to the listener wanting Windows previews in GNOME. The following links are for GNOME shell extensions and should provide that functionality. And he provides a couple of links from extensions.gnome.org. We'll include those in the show notes. Thanks, Gus.
1: Thanks, Gus. And I have the shortest email ever. Tony writes, he has a question or maybe a topic suggestion. He writes, Hi, Larry. How to make a Windows 10 machine into a Linux Mint Windows 10 one? Tony. <laughs> wow
0: yeah so uh assuming that's a question uh take the linux mint cd or usb drive put it in boot to the live session click install and choose install alongside windows 10 done when it's finished installing you're done
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's it (laughs) that'll be 172 dollars
0: yeah, there we go. Okay, <laughs> and maybe it was a topic suggestion, but I don't know how how whether we can stretch that out to a full <laughs> episode or not. That seems pretty straightforward. Well,
1: we, we could have three minutes of discussion and twenty seven minutes of the static.
0: We could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, or we could introduce all kinds of problems into the thing. You know, maybe <laughs> you know, may, may, maybe the uh, power gets unplugged in the middle of the installation, or you know, we could we could set this up so we could drag it out. But no, it's pretty straightforward. Tony, just install it the same way you would install any sort of dual boot Linux and Windows. Yep. All right, Michael writes about Sonar. Hi, Larry and Bill. I listened to your podcast episode on Sonar. It was very interesting to hear what Kendall Clark had to say on Sonar development as someone wanting to run Linux when I can afford to purchase a working computer. I am pleased that as a computer user who is totally blind, people like me with disabilities have a much better choice of Linux distros than we had when I first heard about Linux with the latest Linux Mint Mate, now including Orca Screen Reader. Keep up the good work to those working on Linux accessibility, and also to you too, Larry and Bill, on ongoing Linux. Michael from the UK.
1: Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Mike. Our next email comes from Richard, and he writes, I have recently resumed listening to your podcast, episode 300, Listener Feedback, and immediately upon hearing your voice, I felt better. I just explained to my fiancé last night how Ubuntu releases work and why I love Linux and the open source community so much. I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you from my heart for all you do. I have long appreciated what you do for the Linux community, having just finished up graduate school and just getting caught up in life. I briefly stopped listening. It is super awesome to be getting back connected to Linux community and even better to listen to the going links once more thank you thank you thank you and god bless you and your podcast happy return user richard
0: <laughs> well welcome back richard and <laughs> thanks for the thank yous wow <laughs> yeah um, he's happy to be back yeah he seems happy to be back and uh richard congratulations on the engagement
1: and graduate uh, school
0: and graduate school yes absolutely and welcome back to the Linux community what more can we say
1: I'd have you (laughs) $172
0: we could say that but we won't (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, Richard, and I'm not sure that it's the same Richard, sends his thanks. Hi, Larry. Thank you for replying to my email question so quickly, and thanks for the information and link. I did click on the link you provided, but ironically, the Ubuntu Mate PowerPC support page website is too advanced for any of the browsers that run on Mac OS 10.4 for PowerPC. I tried Safari, Firefox, Camino, an OmniWeb for OS X 10 10.4, but they were all, quote, out of date and could not access the website. No problem. I run into this a lot when I'm on my old PowerPC Mac. Most websites work with one or more of my browsers, but some websites don't work with any of them. I'll just head over to the support page using my dual Booting Puppy Linux Linux Mint computer, an old HP thin client with an Intel Atom N280, 1.66 gigahertz single core, and two gigabytes of RAM running two internal solid state drives, a four gigabyte IDE chip for my Puppy Linux, and a 16 gigabyte SATA chip for my Linux Mint. Both drives are installed on the motherboard. Just to update you on my progress, I have done some further research about my PowerPC Mac and have tried a few things to update my boot.conf file. I used the command nano with some success. I was able to navigate to the conf file on the Mate hard drive using my PPC Mate install disk and get into the conf file on the hard drive installed version. I was hoping not to have to use the terminal and just open the conf text file and edit it using the text editor and then save the changes. But it said I don't have permissions to alter the conf text file. Yeah, Uh, if you were to run the text editor... Uh, from the command line the, the graphical text editor from the command line using sudo to launch it it would give you the uh, administrator version of the text editor and you could have done it graphically but anyway he, he continues i then use sudo nano to change the file the exact code i used was sudo nano w yaboot.conf I'm not sure what all this meant, but I saw it on a forum, uh, and he gives a link to the forum. This command allowed me to edit the conf file, but was not sure how to save it. I just exited the terminal and checked the conf file to see if I had it succeeded. In the Etsy folder on my hard drive, I saw the original unaltered file labeled yaboot.conf and the new file that I had edited now called yaboot.conf copy i said to myself all i have to do now is just delete the old conf file and rename the copy conf file but once again the text editor would not let me alter the conf file saying i did not have permission and keep in mind that i always access these files from my install disk and was not actually running the mate os that i was trying to alter I know this is a lot to try to decipher but don't expect you to walk me through this. But I thought I would keep you up to date on my progress. Later this weekend I will try again, but this time I'll be using the command cheroot. I'm not sure exactly what this means but the forum I <laughs> but the forum I mentioned above suggests giving this a try. I really enjoy your podcast and just finished the latest one about accessibility. I know that it is frustrating for folks with limited sight to use computers But I had no idea the steps that have to be taken to do what sighted people take for granted. I also recently listened to your podcast regarding virtual machines. That is my ultimate goal for the whole Mate for PowerPC project. What I want to do is run Mate for PowerPC Mac on my G5 PowerPC Mac, then install and run Mac OS X 10.4 in a virtual machine within my G5 PowerPC Mac. This setup will allow me to use all the latest software via Linux, but still have access to my old Mac OS X and OS 9 programs that I run every day for my business. Right now, I run two computers to accomplish this, and would love to run just one computer instead. Thanks for all you and Bill do, and keep up the good work. Hmm. Well, Bill, I think the solution to most of his problems in trying to edit these files is to run the text editor as root. Uh, and yeah. by launching it from either the um, Alt F2 that, that brings up a run dialog box uh, and typing in GKSU and then the name of the text editor or uh, type sudo uh, space, the name of the file manager, And that will run it with super user permission. Of course, you'll need to enter your password, Mm -hmm. but then you'll be able to edit and save those files. And it sounded like he figured out how to write out from Nano or save the file from Nano, but it's Control-O to save the file in Nano. And once you've done that, you should be able to uh, save that file and overwrite the old one, which is not what I would recommend. I would recommend making a copy. And uh, that would work. Yep. And similarly, to um, rename something, use, you could do that from the command line using the MV command, preceded by sudo, of course. Since you're editing a file in a folder that requires super user access or administrator access, you need to use sudo before whatever command you're trying to use. So, hopefully, that'll help you out.
1: Yeah, see if that works. Yep. Okay, we got another email, and it's from Sam, and he wants us to do a review of a Linux distro. Okay, he writes, Hi, guys. I would like to request that you review a Linux distribution that I put together. I personally have always liked OpenSUSE, but I have never felt comfortable recommending it to a beginner or even experienced Linux user due to the lack of polish and weird inconsistencies, uh, SUSE's way of doing certain things. So I finally broke down and created a custom spin using OpenSUSE Leap 42.1 using SUSE Studio, and I'm calling it Gecko Linux. These are the main highlights of Gecko Linux. And he writes, Gecko Linux comes as an installable live DVD image, whereas OpenSUSE Leap needs to be installed before using. Gecko Linux offers common niceties such as proprietary media codecs pre-installed, whereas OpenSUSE requires users to know how to add additional repositories which packages to add. Gecko Linux prefers packages from the Pac-Man repo when they are available, whereas some of OpenSUSE's default packages don't work with patent-restricted features, even if said features are installed from other sources. Gecko Linux comes pre-configured with what many would consider to be a good font rendering, whereas many users find OpenSUSE's default font configuration to be less than desirable. Gecko Linux does not force installation of additional recommended packages after system installation whereas OpenSUSE pre-installs patterns and automatically installs recommended packages dependencies thus causing many additional and possibly unwanted packages to be installed the first time the package manager is used after system installation and he writes on further Gecko Linux I wonder if he's saying how many times I can he can make me say Gecko Linux. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Gecko Linux uh, programs can be permanently uninstalled along with all their dependencies, whereas OpenSUSE's pre-installed software patterns often cause uninstalled packages to be automatically reinstalled. Gecko Linux has a much more relaxed policy kit configuration than OpenSUSE, allowing common actions such as connection-disconnection from Wi-Fi and mounting-unmounting removable media to be performed without entering the root password. Gecko Linux features individual additions for eight different popular desktop environments with a pleasant default configuration. And he gives us the link to his website which is geckolenux.github.io. And even further, he writes, I'd be interested in hearing your comments if you have time to test it. In the near future, I also hope to release the same eight different new editions with an OpenSUSE Tumbleweed super well-tested rolling branch base as an alternative to the OpenSUSE Leap, which is a stable fixed-release candidate uh, edition. Thanks. Have a good one. Sam.
0: Yeah. Did you pick up on that, that he's got eight editions that he's created? He's been busy. (laughs) Yeah. And he's
1: also made me say Gecko Linux at least eight times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, it's good marketing for him, I'm sure. (laughs) So I went to the Gecko Linux site and, uh, you know, as you scroll down, you see that he's got, uh, like you said, eight different editions. So he's got a Gecko Linux Cinnamon version you can download a gecko linux xfce version a gnome version a plasma stable version that's kde uh, a mate version a budgie version an lxqt version and a bare bones version which i'm assuming doesn't have a uh, a desktop environment Uh, that's an assumption on my part we Mm -hmm. haven't done a review on this yet but what I like most about this and this is going to seem silly but uh the uh the icons that he uses for the website at least uh the cinnamon version is just some cinnamon sticks and the xfce gnome kde and mate are just the the icons for those but the bare bones version it's a it's a it's a gecko's skeleton <laughs> 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 uh, Yeah and it looks like he's got the rolling releases up. He's got the same eight versions under a rolling release. Uh, so that's uh, fantastic. We're going to have to give this one a try. <laughs>
1: well, I'll have to give it a try once I've finished moving.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because
1: <laughs> once I get settled in my new place, I will definitely uh, get a chance to look at Gecko Linux. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there, oh, you had, said it I've, one more time.
1: I had to say it one more time.
0: Yeah, but uh, I I agree, Sam, that SUSE Linux is is great. It's an excellent uh, desktop Linux for desktop users, home users of, of Linux, as well as business users of Linux. But it's not as user-friendly as Ubuntu is or Linux Mint is uh, in terms of giving clear instructions and the ability to be learned intuitively as opposed to following a manual or uh, following community website instructions and that sort of thing. You do have to either know what you're doing or know how to find instructions and follow instructions extremely well to be able to use it well. Uh, And if Gecko Linux, now I said it again, (laughs) uh, provides multimedia support out of the box and nice font rendering out of the box, I think this could be a, a good alternative to some of the others that we recommend so we'll give it a try and see if it's something that's good for new users and if so maybe this will be one that we'll be recommending thanks for the suggestion sam
1: yeah and i'll say gecko linux fast three times
0: uh gecko linux gecko linux gecko linux
1: <laughs> Darn, i oh, can't well.
0: do it any faster than that <laughs> <laughs> okay uh moving on scott writes about thinkpads and converts I was just re-listening to some past shows and ended up hearing 295... Linux on ThinkPads, back-to-back with 298 and 300 listener feedback. As I listened to the ThinkPad episode and heard your guest compare his ThinkPad to a MacBook Pro, I thought to myself, "Uh uh-oh, there's going to be some feedback, and sure enough, there was. After hearing the expected nitpicking, I realized that they were all just fellow geeks and weren't intentionally being argumentative, but rather were just unable to turn off that part of the brain that is busy with problem solving and looking for exceptions whether it be arguing on whether or not a tomato is a fruit or whether superman can really beat flash the scientific method is alive and well i embrace my fellow geeks because we also need the people who will tell you when the space shuttle might go wrong (laughs) okay converts on the lighter side i have a senior citizen uncle who is slightly mentally impaired A relative had given him an HP laptop, and he was complaining that it felt slower to him lately. Expecting a weekend of spyware removal or complete re-imaging, I offered to clean it up for him. Well, it was a simple HP consumer laptop with two gigabytes of RAM and a Core 2 Duo processor and Windows Vista. But what floored me the most was that there was no malware at all. Instead, the poor computer was struggling to run multiple bloatware assistants, such as the HP DVD burner assistant, the HP video assistant, the HP internet assistant, and a bunch of other applications as well as an audiovisual program. Boot up times were close to five minutes. After determining with him and confirming that he was using no programs other than general internet surfing, I offered and he was was willing to give Linux a try. I put Linux Mint Cinnamon on it and was completely amazed at how quick things had gotten. Boot up was under 30 seconds, and the browser was launching quickly and running multiple tabs quite easily. The Broadcom Wi-Fi driver had some problems initially, but I got that figured out. While I have put Linux on many machines in the past and also had run it from live CDs and inside of VMs, this was the first case in a long while of me taking a barely usable machine and reviving it. My uncle still raves about how much better the computer runs and the presence of both Firefox and Chrome make it easy for him to keep using it the way he used to. I even put a bunch of R&B and Motown internet radio stations into the audio player for him, and he's thrilled. Keep up the good work. Well, Scott, that's great. <laughs> Sounds like that's a real success story.
1: Oh, yeah. I uh, I have to question your your music choices though no just kidding
0: <laughs> <laughs> motown on linux
1: okay i've heard it's it okay
0: <laughs> that's, that's great but yeah i i know that hp and even lenovo these days provide a lot of mm, assistant type programs that run by default and it's just nothing but bloatware uh, uh, ThinkPad, not so much on their business machines, but more on their consumer brand machines. And especially in the Windows Vista days, that was much more common than it is today, I think. But even so, it's something that, as you've experienced, can slow down your computer tremendously. Five minutes to boot? Hmm, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's crazy. Our last email comes from Michael, and he writes about compatibility. I have to take issue with Will's comment about Linux drivers in episode 300. My Acer laptop was having driver issues and I installed Windows 8.1 Enterprise. The Bluetooth stopped working consistently and the touchpad would often go crazy. Downloading drivers from Acer and updating firmware did not help. After hearing about elementary OS on episode 295. I researched it and tried the live version and made the switch. The Bluetooth and touchpad now work great. Since I need to use a Windows application, I put Windows 10 inside a virtual box and all is well. Everything works and I'm more secure. I'm not sharing directories between elementary and Windows. Thanks for all you do, Michael. Thanks, Mike.
0: Yeah another success story there putting windows in a virtual box where it belongs uh <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i know we're not supposed to windows bash that's true but there is bash on windows these days <laughs> anyhow <laughs> Oh golly. we we have a gone linux story from nathan who provided a note uh regarding our episode on distributions for an older computer he writes i just listened to the podcast on this subject i regularly use an older laptop a dell latitude d E six thirty, I find that it runs great using OpenSUSE. I know it's not technically a quote, lightweight distro, but the minimum specs are very reasonable. Pentium four one point six gigahertz or higher processor, Pentium four two point four gigahertz or higher, or any AMD sixty four or Intel sixty four processor is recommended. Main memory one gigabyte of physical RAM, two gigabytes recommended. Hard disk, a minimum of three gigabytes available. Disk space for minimal installation, five gigabytes available for graphical desktop. More is recommended. And finally, sound and graphics cards supports most modern sound and graphics cards. 800 by 600 display resolution, 1024 by 768 or higher is recommended. I have also found the KDE desktop can have enough features turned off That's not yet necessary for me to run nicely and snappily. I just wanted to leave my thought on it. Thanks. Yeah, Nathan, I would not have thought that OpenSUSE would have been something that could be classified as lightweight. But as you said, with KDE, you have to turn off a lot of features to make (laughs) it run nicely. So yeah, that kind of supports the fact that it's not lightweight. But those minimum specifications, they, they truly... Uh, fit within the classification that we were considering, lightweight, Bill.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are. They're really lightweight.
0: Yeah, so maybe if you choose the GNOME desktop when you install OpenSUSE, you can get by with that, or if they today offer some lighter weight desktops uh certainly with kde (laughs) you're gonna have to turn some features off as you suggested but thanks nathan that's uh that's a great recommendation something for folks to consider thanks nathan yep all right well that brings us to uh the end of this episode lots of email this time and thanks to everyone for providing that feedback And our next episode will be a, a rebroadcast of my appearance on a Denver radio show uh, that occurred last month. Um, yeah, yeah. I was on the Denver radio talking about Linux. Uh, that'll be episode 303 at the end of uh, July. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Take a look in the. Uh, Google Plus community, the Going Linux podcast, Google Plus community. If you want a preview of that episode, there's a note on there uh, about my appearance on that radio show. I'm not going to say anything more about it for those. No spoilers for those people who just listened to the podcast and Google Plus community. I don't know why you would do that. But anyway, that's it.
1: Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe.
0: We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done.
1: If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community.
0: Until next time, thanks for listening. 73.